Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast about watching soccer on TV and online. Welcome to episode 172. Coming up on this week's show, our thoughts on Fox's coverage of the Bundesliga return, a debate about the potential MLS restart ahead of other US pro sports, live soccer is heading back to ESPN Deportes, when the soccer leagues are returning, we've got all that info. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishnayar. Now, Kartik, um, before we get into the whole Fox debacle and, uh, and the fantastic return of the Bundesliga, uh, let's talk about some of the other things we've been watching from this past week. And um, I'm sure you saw this, Kartik. I'm sure you've seen this in the past. But I finally got to watch a movie about American soccer, The Game of Their Lives, which is the story of the 1950 uh, World Cup, the U.S. uh, men's national team, uh, going into the tournament and playing what has been still to this day the biggest upset in U.S. soccer history and probably world soccer history when uh, the United States beat England in the World Cup. And uh, it's on Showtime, and uh, I guess back in the day when it first came out, I missed it completely. I, I knew of its existence, I just never got around to watching it, or never had a chance to. But it's currently on Showtime, and I have Fubo TV, which has Showtime, so I was able to watch it. Uh, of course, um, for those who haven't seen it, uh, which was me and up, up, up until a couple of days ago, uh, John Hawks is in it, kind of a minor role. Uh, Nelson Vargas is in it, who used to play for the, the Miami Fusion. You've got uh, yeah, yeah. I was going to mention that because uh, uh-huh. yeah, because he's the coach of Miami FC now, and he and I have spent uh, too much time talking about his kind of minor role in the film. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it, it it is a big, it was a pretty big deal that uh, that Nelson Vargas was in that, and, and he said Harks got him uh, into the film. But, but ah, okay. And then yeah, you've got uh, Gavin Rossdale from uh, the the lead singer of Bush. Is there playing um, the the role of um, Stan Mortensen for England? Uh, it does a really good job, actually. Uh, Sh- Sean Wheelock is in this. Uh, if you remember him from back in the Major League Soccer uh, early days of Fox Soccer Channel, he's in this. Kansas City, Kansas City, yeah. yeah. And then um, Tim Vickery. <clears throat> Tim Vickery is in in this as as a commentator for the match, and Tim Vickery, of course, from. 
you mean all the way around the world in terms of his coverage of mostly Brazilian soccer and also on the BBC World Service, um, etc. But um, I, I didn't think it was the greatest movie by any means, Kartik, uh, as far as even on the soccer scale. Uh, there haven't been a lot of good soccer movies, but I enjoyed it. It, it was... Uh, it, it went by, I mean, almost half of the film is kind of the build-up and the backstory, and it's just like the last maybe uh, 25 minutes or more focused on the actual game itself. But uh, it, it gave me a better appreciation for what they had to go through to get to to get to get Brazil and to play the game. So I, I'd recommend watching it. Have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen it several times. Um, not in a while. I mean, although I feel like I've seen it recently because I've spoken with Nelson Farkas so much about it over the last couple of years. Uh, the uh, the thing that I, I appreciated is that there was a, the lonely sports writer, right? The one um, St. Louis-based sports writer that follows the team down to Brazil um, and basically was the only guy in the U.S. that covered this what, what in a historical perspective maybe was appreciated the historical perspective is a huge, huge event in, in uh, the evolution of the world's game in, in the United States. Um, of course, the U.S. didn't qualify for another World Cup for 40 years after that. But um, And for the next, I would say the darkest time in the history of soccer in the U.S. was from that World Cup till 1966. Uh, when, England, when the England World Cup took place in 66, there began to be some dribs and drabs of interest in the U.S., which led to the formation of, of professional leagues. culminating in the NASL. But um, it's funny, the greatest triumph in U.S. soccer history, potentially, um, one of them, uh, was met then by 15 years of total darkness in the sport, which is uh, really ironic. Yeah, I I would recommend watching it. So if you have Showtime or if you have Fubo, uh, definitely check it out uh, if you haven't seen it already. Um, It was a film that really could have, I guess, guess, uh, fell under the carpet a little bit. I mean, it, it was, I think, had big intentions, uh, if you watch it, it's interesting too in terms of the way that uh, MLS is portrayed in it because uh, the financial backing came from, uh, I think, the Anschultz family. So um, it was in the best interest, I mean, being MLS owners to, to go ahead and have an MLS narrative in it. But the way that they did it was good. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Absolutely. All right, Kartik, uh, this past weekend... Live soccer on television returns, and uh, I, don't, I don't know about you, but, well, you're different than me, but uh, I watched more Bundesliga this past weekend than I, I've ever done in my life, in terms of in one weekend. I watched as many games as I could. Uh, I watched, of course, the the Dortmund-Schalke game, and when it became 3-0 to, uh, to, to Dortmund, I switched the channel to watch um, RB Leipzig against, uh, I think it was Freiburg, I think it was, uh, on FS2, and then, then, then followed up a little bit later that, that day, Frankfurt against Gladbach, and then on Sunday, Cologne against Mainz, and I mean, so on and so forth. I mean, Union Berlin and Bayern Munich, and then Monday, Werder Bremen and Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, I mean, I, I, I've, I, I enjoy the Bundesliga. I always have it. The, the issue I've always had with the Bundesliga is that it was the timing of it was always at the same time as a Premier League game. And it made the choice difficult because at the same time, there might be some, a, a championship game on or there might be other leagues on. Yeah. This is the first time it, probably in the history of the Bundesliga that they have games unopposed 
no other sports being played, no other soccer being played, and so our focus can go right into these games. What was what was your takeaway from from this past weekend's um, not 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 the TV coverage, but just just the return of the of the Bundesliga? It was stunning how similar it was to what if these fixtures had been played when they were scheduled. Um, in March, the results and the play. So going into those, because I, I, I'm unlike you, I probably watch more Bundesliga uh, this calendar year than all other soccer combined, uh, or at least since the winter break ended. You know, I, I basically switched back to the Bundesliga from the Premier League in those time slots when uh, the Bundesliga started again. And going into the to the coronavirus break, uh, Schalke, Eintracht and Bremen were the th- three most dire teams in the league. Uh, Dortmund, uh, Leverkusen, and Mönchengladbach were the three most high-flying teams in the league, and and Leipzig had become very average in spite of Champions League. I think everyone was fooled because they've seen them in Champions League against Spurs, and they and they they, they ripped Spurs to pieces. But they have not been playing that well in the league for a while. Um, and so my prediction was, okay, we've had two months off, so that's the great equalizer, right? Throw, chuck the form table. doesn't matter that Schalke uh, was horrible before the, uh, before the break. They've had two months off. And, you know, Leverkusen was playing great and scoring three, four game, goals a match, but their momentum would be, would be stunted, and, and they're not going to do it uh, coming out of the gates again. Well, guess what? Every, game went to, every match went to form. I mean, that was the shocking thing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe this goes back to that old adage of form is temporary, class is permanent, because that's the only explanation I have for these equalizers. No crowds, two months off, limited training, and the results being exactly how they I would have predicted them to go if these matches had been played March 14th and 15th when they were originally scheduled. So right. I, 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 that's, it just blows my mind what? that that could happen. And that so when the premier Premier League resumes and Serie A resumes and um, the other leagues resume. Maybe it's just going to go to form, I, I, which is, surprises me. I mean, I was on another show last week and predicted, hey, I, I said even uh, the scores I picked would have been the same scores. I said, hey, if this had been played March 15th, Dortmund 4-0 over Schalke. But because it's they've had two months off, I think it could be a, a 2-1 or a 2-2. Uh, uh, Eintracht would get crushed by Mucin Gladbach if it had been played March 15th. But because it's getting played now, well, oh, you know, it'll probably be two one, two two. It'll be it'll be a competitive match. Well, guess what? The, the scores that I would have predicted on March fifteenth were the scores that took place. So that I don't have an explanation for that. I mean, that to me is the most shocking thing. Yeah. Um, that not enough people I think are talking about this week. And and that's the thing, Kartik, is that going into this Bundesliga restart, there were question marks and a lot of conversations about how these empty stadiums would impact the playing ability of, of both sides, the mental side of yeah. things. And you mean, you mean no fans in the stadium would, would clubs lose their home field advantage or would it be that uh, their form would be consistent with the form that was before the coronavirus? And, and like you said too, the form was consistent. The one thing though, Kartik, I, I mean, I want to get your take on this too, is that uh the one thing I've noticed about the Bundes- the Bundesliga, and this has been for a few years now, is it seems to be that the gulf between the top teams and the bottom teams seems to be huge. Se- seems to be more distinct. So you had Schalke putting in a poor performance. Yeah. You had Werder Bremen putting in a poor performance, and just completely outclassed, almost like men against boys. Yeah, and while in yeah. the, while in the Premier League, the bottom clubs, there's a lot of mediocrity. I 
uh, I mean, there are exceptions, but I, I don't see that big uh, change between the, the say the bottom six. And, and yeah, so the top six are fantastic teams and, and just outperforming. But when they match up, they seem to be closer matches. Yeah, so that's absolutely right. And that's something that's just happened in the last few years. And I will give you a simple explanation. Although Union Berlin um, kind of uh, debunked that because they sat deep and, and, and they tried to absorb pressure. Bundesliga teams near the bottom tend to not sit six, seven, eight men behind the ball. They tend to press high. They often do it early in matches. Um, and they either get opened up or they nick an early goal. Uh to lead, and then they can they can sit back. So um, the philosophy that you're seeing with a lot of teams near the bottom of the table in England recently, and, and I think it's been also because you've seen teams that that, that played football um, at the bottom, Blackpool famously under Ian Holloway and some others, uh, West Brom under Tony Mowbray, uh, just go right back down. Uh, so even though, I mean, I think the Bournemouth under Eddie Howe is kind of an exception, right? I mean, he's been, they've been able to play good football, passing football, and stay in the league with limited resources for a number of years. There's been more defensive tactical football, uh, which, by the way, I don't mind. I'm not one of these people who says, oh, you know, it's anti-football, right? I mean, I, I appreciate good defensive organization. But there's more of that in the Premier League and more tactical variation in the Premier League now in 2020 than there is in the Bundesliga. Unfortunately, or fortunately, and I guess depending on your perspective, people, there are a lot of, a lot of people like a lot of goals and don't like uh, good defending. Um, the Bundesliga is a league where every team uh, opens up. Everybody has to play um, uh, attacking football. Every team, just about every team, presses high at, at, for large portions of the match. And you get these games then when Dortmund or, or Leverkusen, as they have been recently, have been on runs in Gladbach, where they, they beat the bottom teams 4-0, 5-0. Uh, and it's just kind of, yeah, it's routine. I mean, Labor, you just look at if, – if you haven't been paying attention to the league, just look at Leverkusen's results since the winter break. Peter Bosch has done a f- fantastic job, and he's got it in Kaya. Havertz, one of the really great young players in Europe. But it, when they play a team near the bottom, it's like the, the Bremen game, 4-1, 5-1. It's not a 1-0, scrape-out, late-goal type thing. So there are less of that in the Bundesliga than in the Premier League. And I think it's uh, it's the opposite of the way those two leagues used to be, actually, if, if you're being honest about it, if you look at it on a right. historic trajectory. But you're, you're not wrong at all. You're right. Yeah, because I think back and think of, uh, was it Wigan against uh, Spurs, that one game at uh, White Hart Lane? 9-1. 9-1, right. Yeah, there's definitely been, uh, I guess, different trends during the years. The one thing I liked about, uh, again, focusing in on the the Bundesliga and not getting getting into the Fox side of things yet is, uh, I mean, you had a chance to actually get an understanding for each of the different stadiums about the environment because it's completely empty. I mean, other than players and, and a, a few a few staff members, uh, the the stadium at uh, Union Berlin looks fantastic. It looks like it's in the middle of a forest, just so tranquil, so quiet. I think you could hear the birds chirping in the background. Um, some of the other stadiums are more kind of your concrete bowl type of stadiums. But but that was something we, we got a chance to listen to a little bit that we don't get a chance to because the noise from the fans. I mean, Union Berlin's got a massive um, fan base. And um, that was different. And, and And then just hearing the sounds on the pitch, so hearing the ball connecting with the players' feet, uh, hearing some of the uh, yeah, actually, I think uh, was it uh, was it Leverkusen when uh, for uh, Leon Bailey hearing the the German coaches speaking in English, giving him instructions in English. 
that was interesting. And yeah, then, yeah, because he's Jamaican, he doesn't know German. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, it's, so just hearing the coaches, hearing the players, that was good. So, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, to me, um, I know I think Ian Joyce said something on Twitter and said that uh, he was a little bit disappointed with the playing level in terms of the fitness level uh, going into the first week, but uh, I really enjoyed it. And I think. In many ways, Kartik is when this is said and done because the Bundesliga has a monopoly for the next. Well, they've just done it this past weekend. They've got three more weekends where they're the only game in town. They're only major soccer league on television uh, around the world. That we at the end of this four weeks will become more uh, even knowledgeable about the players, the clubs, uh, the stadiums. You mean the fan bases, the history of the Bundesliga. That uh, actually, I think in a way, it's going to help ESPN and ESPN Plus for next season. Is that you might have some fans that have that, that didn't really give uh, the Bundesliga much of a chance before, but will go ahead and give it a chance next season. And may have found a club that they that they want to support. Yeah, I think that that's definitely something that's already happening. Um, and even in, in week one or week two, and then there are a lot of people who are in your camp, Chris, which I was surprised by. A lot of people who said, you know, we actually do like this league. We've wanted to watch this league, but it's on at the same time as the Premier League. So um, maybe if Serie A had been the first to restart, which is which was highly unlikely, right, because of the condition in Italy. But let's just say hypothetically, Serie A had been the first to restart. I don't know if there would have been as much enthusiasm. Um, it's also among U.S. fans. There's so many American players, right, playing in uh, in the Bundesliga. But um, I mean, I've already seen people say, you know, I really like the way Leverkusen played on uh, on Monday. I really like the football we saw from from Mucci and Gladbach. Maybe we're going to get to know those teams a little better. Now, at the same time, it could really uh, make it impossible for the teams that don't play well in this stretch to ever develop a U.S. fan base, as the Bundesliga has made uh, a, a growing effort to grow to grow its presence in the United States. So for Eintracht Frankfurt, who has uh, put a lot more effort into uh, cultivating a U.S. audience than most Bundesliga clubs, uh, they, they, they were on a disastrous run before coronavirus. That uh, resumed itself. Uh, Gladbach was a tough opening fixture for, for after the break, but still they got smashed within, what, eight minutes it was 2-0. So um, it could be challenging for those clubs that have been actually cultivating the U.S. audience and are playing very poorly. So, uh, But I think there are going to be a lot of new Bundesliga fans out of it. And then the other thing that really surprised me, and I, th- I think you probably want to do want to talk about this, Chris, is a number of people in the U.K. who embrace the Bundesliga. I was listening to 606. Uh, I was reading Twitter. Uh, There was a lot of energy and enthusiasm for that league. And again, I think if it had been Serie A or or a league like that, let's say France had decided to resume instead of calling their season, I don't know in the UK if it would have been as as big a deal. I mean, there have been a few English players, obviously, in the Bundesliga recently. Jaden Sancho, we saw Lookman uh, miss a a former Charlton player and and, and Everton player, miss a great chance at the end of the Leipzig match. Uh, But there was more interest in in the UK than I assumed there would be. Um, So this is all for German football, right, I suppose? Yeah, I, I mean, everywhere I turned last weekend, the Bundesliga was being talked about. So I, I tuned into BBC Radio 5 for a little bit, and they were just talking about the Bundesliga and how, again, same situation that I'm in. You I mean, having not had a chance to watch as much Bundes- <coughs> Bundesliga as I've done in the past, uh, just talking about the different clubs, uh, 
ESPN FC was all over the Bundesliga in terms of uh, discussion and news, etc. Uh, the Bundesliga was also a trending topic on Twitter. Uh, it, it was it was great to see, and it gives them the limelight um, that they deserve in many ways. I mean, they've done a fantastic job at going through all the protocols and um, in the government too, of course, but um, looking at a way to to bring sports back in a way that is so far safe and organized and with the testing in place uh, puts them way ahead of the other leagues so so hats off to to the dfl on that one kartik we got a chance to watch something that we don't get a chance to watch that much in the past so in previous months on fs2 usually on friday games um, when they started saying, okay, well, they, they, for a while, actually, the last few months, it seems to be that uh, they didn't have Keith Costigan doing the actual commentary. So they would just go ahead and go with the world feed. So on Fridays, we got to see some of that sometimes. But we saw that this past weekend completely, where uh, we had the 10 minute yes. pregame show from the Bundesliga, uh, which was the commentator and uh, usually solo, just talking, you mean, seeing some scenes from the stadium and talking through um, all the, the latest talking points in terms of you mean, any, any uh, player news, and, uh, starting lineup news, um, setting the scene, really. So that was 10 minutes uh, with no commercials. And then, of course, the commentary for the game. Um, that was well done. I really enjoyed that. And I think that's something we'll probably will expect to see next season from ESPN+. Plus having this uh, 10-minute pre-game discussion with the commentator. And I enjoyed that. I thought it was really well done, uh, well-produced, and uh, I'm looking forward to that more next season. I think we'll see that from now to the end of this season on Fox. My issue, Kartik, and I know I saw, saw some tweets about this on Twitter, so I know that you're, you're going to disagree with me on this one, is the halftime. The halftime, I mean, so for, for example, the, I think it was the, the Frankfurt-Gladbach match, uh, the Saturday 12.30 Eastern kickoff. Um, I had lunch with my family and joined the game, I think about two minutes late, and I missed the goals. I was like, oh my yeah. gosh, it's like, I think it was like what two, one or two goals in quick su- succession early in that game. Yeah, and it was it, two goals in the first five or six minutes. Yeah. So then at halftime, which I knew that this was going to happen, but at halftime, there's no goal highlights, absolutely zero. So if you missed those first one or two goals, or you missed any of the goals, you missed any of the action, there's no halftime show. The halftime show that Fox is showing, and I guess the world feed, I guess there's no, nothing from the world feed either. The halftime is promo videos, is basically B-roll advertising upcoming Bundesliga games. And and I hate that. To me, I mean, yes, yes, um, the world feeds, the commentary is fantastic. But, I mean, at least give me the halftime highlights. If, if, if not, not just for me, but for anyone who wants to see kind of the halftime action, the goals, uh, show some video of that. There, there was nothing to see. It was just, it was, what, 10 or 15 minutes of promo reel. But you yeah, thought, so you thought it was well done, though, right? Yeah, I, the, the promo reel is fantastically done. So, so here's where I come down. Um, I agree with you on the highlights. Um, what I don't agree on is I think the promo reel is more informative than Fox's halftime show. And having being someone who watches the Bundesliga a lot more than most Americans, uh, Fox's halftime show is not informative. It is not not useful. It's mostly commercials. It is uh, it, it is a two second sound bite, so they don't really even analyze the highlights. Um, so I would put the Fox coverage 
in two different categories of the previous Fox coverage. It looks like they're not going to do any of this before. I thought the pregame shows, particularly when they had either Holden or Lawless in studio with Warren Barton and then Ian Joyce hosting or, or Kate Abdo, whoever it's hosting, were pretty informative. And um, they would have time to break down the matchup. And, and Holden especially is really good. We know that. Uh, at kind of uh, tactically analyzing if a team sheets out in pregame. But in halftime, they were useless. But yes, they would show the highlights. So that's that, that I will agree with you on. However, in terms of just like general league macro uh, discussions, particularly with so many new fans to the league coming because of uh, this restart and the timing of it, I, I think those promo reels are great because uh, most people, I'm guessing, don't watch the halftime show anyway. It's their time to move around and, and do something. Those who do stay, I think, will get more out of the, the promo reel, other than the lack, no highlights from the first half, than they would out of Fox's studio. Yeah, so my, my issue with the promo reel is is it's the same promo reel for every single game. So if you're watching, you mean watch three or four games over the weekend, you're, it's it's you mean it's the same footage. It's like you mean yeah, and I agree with you on that. Actually, so yeah, so sorry. My my comment on Twitter was about seeing it during the uh, during the. 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time, uh, 3.30 Central European Time kickoffs. You're right. I, I was a little sh- disappointed that during the Mucin Gladbach Frankfurt game, which was the late kickoff, they ran the same promo reel. I thought it would be something different. So my comment was actually based on seeing it earlier in the morning. Uh, yeah. Twitter comment and saying, hey, this is fantastic. This is better than what Fox gives us. And, and, and the halftime analysis is only as good as the talent that you have available so for example so for me as far as priority priority number one is show the highlights show the goal highlights if there were any just show some brief highlights a couple of minutes that's fine number two priority is usually analysis and again it depends who you have so if he enjoys in there and maybe keith costigan's Keith Koskinen's not doing the commentary, but he's in the studio, and you have Keith and, and Ian, or even if they're doing it remotely, you know, you got Ian and Keith doing halftime analysis they have to do it remotely now, yeah. right? Discussion. What did you see? What you mean? I think there's enough there uh, with those two. I mean, Stu Holden, maybe so you got three. You mean to talk about it just for a minute or two, just to give some context to put kind of Fox's stamp on it. Um, that that's that's my takeaway. It's not going to happen, but you mean at, at least do something. Just try something, and and I think in some ways that um, there's an opportunity for these numbers to increase week after week. But they need to put a little bit of effort into actually promoting it and uh, trying to, I mean, discuss it and and add some context to it. This is going to shock the listeners or some of the listeners, and I think I may have made comments like this before if they were paying attention recently actually the guy i miss in fox's coverage well i miss really miss costigan as the as the commentator but the guy i i would miss uh as much as even any enjoy is warren barton believe it or not um now he's not the same warren barton that used to call the premier that used to be in the studio for the premier league in uh, uh fox soccer channel seven eight years ago who just would give these clunky cliches and then um was kind of hit or miss in the Champions League. He's, I, I think because maybe league to, to follow the last two years, he's given really good analysis and he knows the players. So Barton has been kind of both, and this again reminds us that they call the games out of the studio. Right? So Barton will be the co-commentator with Costigan and then he'll show up in the studio pre-game and post-game and give a lot of good analysis. So uh, that's another guy. Um, so when you talk about Ian Joy, Keith Costigan, and uh, Warren Barton, that's more than enough uh, guys working remotely that, that you, could, you could 
plug in and do some sort of even, I don't know, wrap-up show at, at, at 2.30 uh, Eastern time, 11.30 Pacific time. Uh, but we already saw, I mean, I, I think we were all alarmed by Ian Joyce's tweet um, before the round of, of matches that basically, hey, um, uh, they, they don't need me. They're not going to use me. So uh, I'm off to New York type of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We were all kind of alarmed by it, uh, knowing, oh, my goodness, they're really mailing it in. I mean, I, I thought they were going to maybe go all out on it. Yeah, we talked. We saw Ian Joyce tweet. It was like, ah, jeez. Yeah, and 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 the story that the 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 line that the Fox Soccer talent have been given, and the reason that they've been told that they're not uh, going to be involved in the broadcast of these games is due to financial reasons. Is is due to you mean cuts. However, at the same time, you've got the Fox Soccer indoor show that's continuing week on week. Uh, usually, it used to be on Sundays. I think now it's on Mondays. And that one, they, they, they're doing remotely. They're putting more effort into that show that nobody's watching than they are putting into the Bundesliga that everyone's watching. So um, yeah. it's, it's just insane in terms of the prior, you know the priorities. Do the show? It's, it's the, the indoor show? I haven't seen the ratings. They're so low that, that the numbers aren't I – haven't, uh, I haven't even, even seen the numbers. So they're, they're low, oh. really low. Um, at the same time, too, actually, Kartik, when you think about it, too um, – this past weekend, so talking about the Bundesliga coverage, I mean, the, the Bundesliga on Fox, Fox could do nothing less than what they're doing now. The only thing less they could do with the Bundesliga is not show it. <laughs> Other than that they're showing it with the world feed, right? They're doing absolutely right. nothing additional to that. The, actually, the only thing that they're doing is they've got Rob Stone uh, doing a voiceover for this game is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage. And I'm sure Rocket Mortgage is probably thinking, what do we spend our money on? Like, we thought we were told, we were sold on having the Bundesliga, we could have our name attached to it and have all this great coverage and analysis and discussion. And if anything, it makes Rocket Mortgage look, look pretty bad. But, um, but yeah, on, on, on this coverage, Kartik, um, I mean, Fox this past weekend had the EMLS on Sunday night. So you had um, Rachel Bonetta, you had Stu Holden, you had uh, Mike LaBelle, uh, three of them remotely giving you mean, halftime, pre-game, post-match coverage of a FIFA 20 video game. And Fox put more effort into that than they did into the Bundesliga, which is, I mean, this is the league, this is the, the league that everyone would, would be dying for. I mean, I think NBC would love to have this. I mean, ESPN would love yeah. to start it early and say, hey, let's switch these to ESPN. We'll, heck, heck, we'll put it on ABC. We'll put it on ESPN. We'll put it on ESPN2. Give us this content. We, we're even craving it. Uh, and, and they're doing absolutely nothing with it. Yeah, and, and you mentioned NBC. I should mention That I, I after the Bundesliga was over, going back through my DVR and watching these classic matches that they showed, Premier League matches, and it, it's it's really good for me, Chris, because one, uh, a lot of these matches I didn't see in HD when they first uh, were aired because I didn't have an HD package on my television uh, or whatever reason, you know, Fox Soccer Channel wasn't offered in HD, whatever it was. Um, and then two, there were like so many players I had uh, forgotten about or didn't had appreciated at the time but then you know have not thought about in a long, long time like jose Pasingua and raul morales and uh, tom huddleston who i've always liked but it just reminded his, his range of passing etc so uh, i actually i should mention in terms of tv coverage this week 
spent a lot of time on NBCSN with those classic matches and feel a little hypocritical because I think four to six weeks ago on this show we were trashing the fact that they were that they that's all they could do is just repeat those. But now I've kind of I don't know why I had the hankering to watch them. Yeah, I, I'm still not there, Kartik, on that one. I I I, I love watching. Why well, I, I don't love watching? That's that's the thing. I I thought I loved watching classic uh, games from back in the day, from say like five years ago, but I have absolutely no appetite for it again. Unless it's going back to watching things I never saw, like Match of the Day back in the in the eighties. If I have seen the game, I'm very unlikely to watch that game again. There's very few games. Like I, I've watched thousands of games. I I can only think of maybe a, a few games, maybe two or three that I've, I've rewatched. Uh, one of them would have been the 2005 UEFA Champions League final between Liverpool and AC Milan. Uh, one of them would have been Swansea against Leeds, the first game in, in the, the first division, which later became the Premier League. And maybe, I don't know, maybe there's one or two other games I've watched, I've rewatched. That's about it. Um, yeah, I think part of it is the commentator. So um, Alan Parry, John Champion, uh, Mark. Tyler calling most of the matches, a few Rob Hawthorne here and there, most of these cl- classic matches that are shown. So it, it's it's also the, the really great commentators that, that we uh, associate with English football over the course of the last 15 years, you get to hear again. And in the case of John Champion, these days you basically have to watch MLS uh, or the U.S. national team, men's national team, uh, women, still in dark, um, to, 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 to hear his voice. Uh, Alan Parry, we, we don't hear much of. And Martin Tyler, it's like these Monday games, right, yeah. that we hear him now. Uh, or, well, then you have Champions League, right, him and, him and Stu Robson. But so I kind of liked that aspect, the commentator aspect, but that's something that you and I would geek out on, and most people probably wouldn't right. care. Um, but it was good to listen to a couple matches that Alan Perry called again. A couple, ma- uh, ma- I think there was one match Rob Hawthorne called, uh, and I appreciated that, uh, etc. That that was part of it, I'll admit. Yeah, and it's interesting, just a side note there too, Alan Perry's been doing a few uh, Premier League broadcasts in the last few months, Usually, kind of the the ten a.m. games, Eastern Time games, the, the kind of the lesser known, known games. But uh, that, but that's great to see him coming back and doing some of those commentaries for the world feed. But Kartik, NBCSN has become so desperate now for any live sports content that this this next week they're showing Saturday Night Live in prime time on NBCSN. So they're wow. <coughs> they're going back through the archives. <coughs> And, and looking at any of the Saturday Night Lives that had uh, sports stars as guests and then showing those in prime time on you know, NBCSN. And, and that's the thing about the Bundesliga. I mean, yes, it's not the most popular sports league. Yes, it is very technical. Yes, it is very entertaining. Um, yes, there's a lot of people that don't even know it's back among the kind of the, <clears throat> the, the general mainstream audience. But I mean, NBCSN would 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 love to have the Bundesliga at least at least for a little bit. Give it to them. You know, Fox, sell it to sell it to them. Anyone, just give it to somebody who's actually going to care for it. I was surprised, um, and I know our friend Derek Ray was was disappointed by uh, the U.S. media talking constantly about American sports and not mentioning that the Bundesliga was back. And I agreed. I agree with him. But there were. I was still surprised. There were a few media outlets, like every now and then on CNN, every now and then uh, in, in, in written print U.S. media, saying the German Bundesliga is back. Now they used it more as kind of a political statement to say, "Oh, this is because Germany's done such a better job than the U.S. or the U." 
okay, etc. But um, there were some that I think me mainstream sports fans were like, okay, this is live sport. Uh, let me check it out. And uh, we're going to get to it in the rating section, obviously. But uh, they, they were uh, there was clearly a, a major uptick in, in interest in the Bundesliga because of this restart. Yeah. <clears throat> one more thing, Kartik, on, the, on this one too. Well, actually, a couple things. One is, what do you think is Fox's motivation for doing what they're doing? Like, why, why, not, sh- why not put some of these games on the Fox over the air channel? Why not... You mean, uh, rather than spinning the line of financial budget constraints, uh, have some of these guys, they're doing the remote things for the EMLS or for this in- indoor soccer show, have, have them give some halftime coverage or something, any, any effort. What is their motivation for, for, for mailing it in? They must not feel like they have any soccer properties to promote because uh, – but you would think that because they could use it as an in, as kind of an infomercial at halftime free game. Say we have EMLS, we have uh, whatever, the indoor soccer thing coming up. I think maybe part of it is – and we'll get to this uh, shortly – is that my, my understanding is they, might, they may be – almost entirely cut out of MLS's uh, restart plans, uh, which is a whole nother thing. But that's, but maybe it's that. Maybe they're just sour on soccer. I understand doing a full-scale production in this uh, time is difficult. Although the ESPN FC still, show still does it. They still still have uh, Dan Thomas at home, uh, bringing in Julian Lorenz uh, from London and, and Don Hutchinson from London and, and uh, whoever else from, from remote locations, Craig Burley at his place in Connecticut. Um, by the way, uh, Don Hutchinson, I, is, I think now everyone has seen and I've talked about previously on uh, on uh, this show, the former Everton uh, midfielder for a bunch of other teams, obviously in England as well, um, has really emerged as a Bundesliga expert. And, and I'd expect to see more of him uh, on American television, or American streaming, I guess, in the next uh, few years as the Bundesliga moves to ESPN. But they, they, they're not even making that minimal effort. Just look at the ESPN FC program, which, by the way, was five days a week, now has gone to seven days a week because the Bundesliga is back. Um, so they had wrap-up shows essentially Saturday and Sunday. My question to you, Chris, on that is, was it again because they knew five? Fox wasn't doing any studio coverage that ESPN FC, and we know we know the people there thought, you know what? Let's do a Saturday and Sunday show. Let's bring that back because yeah. it's going to effectively be the Bundesliga post game show. Well, well, we saw that in the last World Cup, right? So the 2018 World Cup, yeah. where ESPN FC's coverage and analysis and discussion about the World Cup was light years better than what uh, Fox was doing, and Fox had the rights to the tournament and had, you mean, this show with right. what Grant Wall right, right, and right. Fernando Fiore, and it was just it was just a you know, a, a car crash, basically that that the whole the, everything that they did. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, ESPN FC definitely looking at an opportunity here of a a black hole. Uh, I mean, Fox is not doing anything on it, and uh, it, and it was a pretty late decision, I should say, because uh, Dan Thomas tweeted it on Friday evening our time. Hey, we're going to be uh, doing weekend shows. We're going to be seven days a week because the Bundesliga is back, and I got excited and retweeted it. But was I think they were waiting to see what Fox did, and once they realize this fan was like okay well that's uh, a wide open playing field for us let's just do po- essentially post-game shows yeah so, so my take on this and, and the reason i believe that they're mailing it in is is really petty it, it's really more of a i think it, it i think they were, they were upset by the bundesliga ceo christian seifert uh publicly stating that he was disappointed with fox's coverage of the bundesliga talking about how 
uh, German soccer fans or soccer fans in the United States had a very difficult time knowing which games were going to be on which channels because Fox kept on changing it. Some some weeks would be FS1, some weeks would be you know, most of the games on FS2. It kept on getting bumped. It kept on being used as filler. And I, and I think that was part of it. I mean, obviously, they wouldn't publicly state that, but I believe that's part of it, too, where they feel like, screw you, Bundesliga. You, you, you've said some negative things about us. We'll show you. But, but the, the second thing, and probably more importantly, I think, with Fox, is just that um, they don't see any benefits from this. They don't see this as being a lead-in, like you said, Kartik, to Major League Soccer. They can't start doing promo reels for MLS in this one or talking about MLS because... They don't know what dates or what games or what coverage they'll have yet. So it's not... I think they've always treated it like filler. They've always treated it like a lead-in. I mean, in the Bundesliga in the past, before the coronavirus, you'd see promos galore, discussions like, hey, coming up Sunday, be sure to tune in for the FS1 game. I mean, I don't know, Sporting Kansas City against Columbus or whoever it may be. Um, so I, I, I believe that they just don't see any worth in it, uh, which really lets us know how they valued the Bundesliga. This is kind of really kind of... And, and if I'm a, another major soccer league in the world, so maybe I'm, a, I'm the Premier League, and the Premier League's the, bid, the bids for, what, 2022 onwards uh, coming up in the US soon. They'll probably start discussions next year. But if I'm the Premier League or if I'm, I don't know, Serie A or if I'm any major soccer league around the world and I'm seeing the way that Fox treats the Bundesliga, I'm going, I'm going to be thinking like, well, would they do the same thing to me? Would they do the same thing to the Premier League, to the rights? Do they just really, just really piss poor effort? I mean, so I, I, I think Fox, as far as any European soccer, they're done. Absolutely done and dusted, and and they stay yeah, with MLS this, this, and then they, they stay with uh, FIFA World Cups and and that's it. Because there was part of me that had thought that the La Liga bailout from BN uh, could be to go to Fox because Fox had the open programming holes, or maybe they actually don't because they show American sports, but that they they would be we're losing the Bundesliga. I don't think there's a chance in uh, you know what if Hell. that 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 uh, La Liga. Uh, we know Boris uh, from La Liga and, and, and uh, the, the relevant people who've been advising him are going to even consider Fox at this point if they, they have to in, if they have to jump. So uh, if specifically for that league, which would be uh, uh, probably a better ratings opportunity than the Bundesliga uh, for Fox long term, uh, they, they've got no shot at. And I don't think uh, Champions League is, is ever going back there uh, at this could be it. They're out of the European club soccer game, and we don't know after 2022 if they'll still be involved with MLS and the U.S. men's national team. We assume they will be. Um, especially to that, but I think that there's uh, there's there's a lot of uh, potential for MLS uh to go elsewhere and a lot of things happening behind the scenes that I've even heard about in these two months of the, the shutdown where MLS is courting potential other um, newer soccer uh, tele type television partners like Turner and CBS among others. So a uh, long way to play out on that. So I, I don't know what's going to happen with Fox's coverage of the sport in general. Yeah. I, I think they're good through 2026, especially having the world cup rights and, and one, wanting to have the MLS rights continue 
just to be able to to kind of really um, feature that and kind of have those lead-ins, have those promos, have those double headers, and really go all in on MLS and all in on the on the World Cup through 2026. And after that, who knows uh, if soccer becomes, I mean, so much massive because of that tournament then they could look at continuing some of those deals that they have in place. But as far as the European game, I think they've seen that uh, they've done it. They've seen a, a lot of the backlash. They've seen that it's probably more trouble than it's worth. And they've just given up completely, which is what we're seeing right now with the Bundesliga coverage. They've given up completely. Can't take just a couple more things on the Bundesliga real fast is the commentators. So I think, I mean, Phil Bonney, we've, we've interviewed. He did a fantastic job this, this weekend. Also, Patrick O from uh, a former Dortmund player did a great job on the co-commentary of that Dortmund-Schalke uh, game. And uh, Dan O'Hagan did great. Rob Turner, uh, Thomas Broich, uh, Mark Schwarzer. The, the only one that I was disappointed Mark with. Mark Schwarzer, yeah, yeah was uh, Gary Preston, and uh, I think Gary got uh, a lot of abuse on Twitter because he was calling Tyler Adams Tony Adams uh, in the RB Leipzig uh, Freiburg <laughs> game. Uh, I mean, mistakes happen, but that, that's especially with a U.S. audience watching this one. Uh, that did no favors uh, for a lot of the, uh, the U.S. men's national team fans there. But, uh, but overall, I mean, I, I, you can, I, I, I can say, I mean, the commentary is great. I mean, it's definitely... They, and, and actually, that was one thing we talked about last week with Gary O'Reilly is that with the commentators who are quieter, kind of the John Champions of the world, would they talk more? And with the, the commentators who are very talkative, like the John Strongs and Ola White, would they talk less? But I think for all of these games, um, it was the right balance. There was even quiet spells at times where we could hear the, the players and coaches. But uh, all of the commentaries I heard pulled me in and kept me entertained i yes i would love to see games back with fans in the stadium but this is good enough for me to keep on watching and and the football on the pitch was fantastic too mark, mark schwarzer has during the course of this season uh in listening to him and bundesliga uh telecasts uh, really kind of caught me and and he says he makes some really good observations maybe his cadence isn't always uh the greatest as good as other co-commentators but uh he may- make some really good tactical analysis that you know you think maybe that's because he was a goalkeeper right and and he sees the whole pitch when he's uh when he's playing and and when he's been he was a great Premier League goalkeeper right for you know, well over a decade maybe even two decades uh, played into his 40s actually was uh on the Leicester team at the very end that won the title right um and it got to Chelsea and I think uh technically may have won a title there too uh but he um you know we think of Schwarzer from Fulham and and Borough and and those places uh really good to see see him uh and hear him on Bundesliga telecast and it makes me wonder with the Premier League international feed if maybe there should be more goalkeepers as co-commentators uh just something to think about yeah yeah I mean we've had I mean Casey Keller's a great commentator um Brad Friedel was okay at times, yeah, Keller is fantastic. But, but Keller was really good. Phenomenal. Yeah, Tony Miola has been okay. I, I, I guess it's good and bad. I mean, I mean, I mean Tony's okay, I, and Brad's okay, but uh, Casey Keller's definitely uh, one of the better ones. 
So, Kartik, coming up in a little bit too on the show, we will discuss the TV ratings for these games, the Bundesliga games, and how they did on English language television as well as Spanish language television. Uh, also, we just want to mention in terms of some of the audio uh, technical difficulties on the show, we apologize, but uh, it's it's not us. It's uh, AT&T, uh, Fiber, having some connection issues uh, throughout the state of Florida. So it's nothing we can, we can control, but we're trying to do the best that we can with what we have. But Kartik, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news. And let's go through these uh, rather quickly, if you may. Yeah. So uh, a lot of excitement this week as ESPN Deportes uh, announced its return to live uh, live soccer. Uh, they're going to uh, show Saprisa matches uh, from the Costa Rican League, which is the first league in CONCACAF to restart. First match is May 20th uh, at 10 p.m. Eastern time, uh, which is uh, uh, if, if you download this podcast uh, uh, you, 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 uh, you you could uh, watch out they have matches basically once a week uh, uh, the, th- the 27th the third I think uh, June 7th etc so uh, this is uh, actually a pretty exciting development for fans of Confucian and uh, that's a league that some MLS fans want to keep track of because their teams have had a history of uh, playing well against MLS teams in, in the Confucian Champions League Yep. And as far as the other leagues and uh, their return dates, some of these are tentative, but uh, we know that the uh, Portuguese Primera Liga, which is available on um, Gold TV and Gold TV in Espanol, is returning June 4th. So that's a definite. La Liga is looking to return on June 12th. Uh, the Turkish Super League, which is going to be on BN Sports, that one's definitely coming back June 12th. Then you have the Premier League, and the Premier League is hoping uh, to come back uh, June 13th, although that's still uh, TBD on that one. Liga Mekis uh, originally was saying June 15th, but uh, as of uh, recording of this podcast, I think Santos Laguna um, have been reporting a high case of uh, coronavirus positive results. So it looks possible that the Liga Mex season might be abandoned, and they may just take a break and then start back up in uh, the late summer. Serie A, still questionable, but uh, they're looking and hoping to come back June 20th. And then Major League Soccer, which we still have to uh, get some dates on, and there's still a lot of discussion. Uh, still some, some teams who haven't been able to train, including Montreal, uh, they're looking tentatively around about July 1st for the tournament uh, to pl- be played in probably Orlando. We'll get to, into that in a minute as far as the TV um, implications. The Scottish Premiership uh, has been cancelled, so Celtic have been announced as the champions, and Hearts of Midlothian are going down to the second tier, although there's been discussion about Hearts possibly uh, suing the Scottish uh, Professional Football League, and then the SPFL talking about perhaps maybe restructuring the league, so uh, maybe finding a way to keep Hearts in that uh, top tier and uh, figuring out what to do to keep everyone happy on that. And last but not least, Kartik. And, and, by, and by the way, the Scottish League was just, was just restructured three years ago. So yeah. you know, that's why when uh, Hearts threatened to sue and then suddenly the SPFL came out and said, oh, you know, we're looking at different options. I thought, oh, well, didn't they just do that? I know. I know. It's uh, not a good look, but it's not a good situation to be in with that season. I mean, they didn't play the entire season, so it's really not fair on Hearts to get relegated. Um Celtic being champions, yeah. I mean, I think they were pretty far ahead in the Especially in the table. because the format in Scotland 
I don't know if people who don't follow the Scottish League, and I don't follow it as closely as I used to, but they split, they kind of, they, 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 you don't have a fixture list at the beginning of the season anymore that you play out, right? They kind of split the table or, or not, or, or at some point split the table and the top six play against each other more and the bottom six play against each other more. So the relegation aspect of that is actually more exciting in Scotland because the teams that are, uh, and they only send one team down, but the teams that are fighting relegation play against each other more. So Hearts may actually have a very good case that this is now a throwback to the way it used to be, and they had reformed the league to avoid this sort of scenario. Yeah, and in addition to the Scottish Premiership being cancelled, uh, MLS announced this week that the MLS All-Star Game, Campiones Cup, and the League's Cup have all been cancelled. So um, those will be played uh, next season. Uh, the MLS All-Star Game, I've never been a big fan of that. Um, but from a TV point of view, this is a huge loss because you have the MLS All-Star Game, which is going to be Liga MX against MLS um, players, would have been a, a ratings coup, especially to attract the, the Latin American soccer fans or Hispanic fans in the United States. So that's a big loss for ESPN and, and the Univisions of the world, uh, Campeones Cup and... Um, yeah, and the League's Cup also, I believe, was supposed to be on ESPN too. So a lot, a lot of uh, big hits there for ESPN. But Kartik, in the next news item, maybe there's some um, some positive news for ESPN and MLS. Yeah, there's some uh, uh, very positive news potentially for ESPN. There are plans to restart the MLS season. I've been doing a lot of reporting and digging on this. Uh, in July, in a single site, which would be the Disney Wide World Sports Complex, Maybe they'll use some other fields, uh, Lake Nona and others around Central Florida, but it'll be self-contained uh, in that part of uh, in that part of the world. Uh, players will be quarantined. They will be under kind of lock and key uh, in uh, in Central Florida. And Disney is a difficult place to get off of, you know. So it's it's actually it's almost like being in jail in a way if you're stuck at a Disney resort for. Uh, uh, jail, but you know what I mean. Um, so the, the the concerns about players maybe getting out and, and breaking curfew, uh, it's a little harder at Disney. Now, here's um, the the thing that I think is not being talked about very much, which is that this is not a resumption of the MLS season. This is not, hey, like Germany and, and potentially what's going to happen in England and Italy and Spain. Hey, we're picking up the fixtures uh, starting with the weekend we, we postponed, which of course had uh, LA Galaxy playing into Miami, for instance. This will be a completely new tournament. My understanding is kind of like a international uh, a summer tournament, like a Euros, set up like a Euros or World Cup or Copa America, uh, where there will be uh, morning-afternoon matches and there'll be evening matches. They'll, they'll probably be broken up into groups and there'll be some sort of uh, knockout tournament associated with it. Now, that's not finalized. Uh, that's my understanding as to what they're going to do. NWSL is looking at doing something in Utah. So that then throws all of the television commitments from pre, from that, that we had originally for the league, Chris, kind of in the in the in the trash bin. And you're doing uh, you're having this tournament or this competition, whatever it is, restart at a ESPN managed facility, which then also calls into question what the other media partners role in this is going to be Fox and Univision. Um, and, and my understanding. And it mostly be on uh, ESPN networks, whether it's uh, uh, over-the-air uh, ESPN channels or uh, um, or uh, ESPN Plus. 
Yeah, according to The Athletic, uh, they uh, reported that ESPN would handle all of the production of the tournament, uh, resulting in a world feed, in quotation marks, that other broadcasters could pick up and commentate over. So um, so that makes sense. I mean, it's an ESPN uh, Disney facility. And uh, yeah. having been there, though, Kartik, I've been there so many times for, for my kids playing soccer. I've lost, I mean, I don't know, 10 times, 12 times I've been there. So the one issue with, with the uh, complex is that from a t- TV viewing perspective is there's no high-up vantage points for the cameras to be on to, ki- to give kind of a, yeah. a top-down look, or not, not, not completely top-down. So, uh, so, so, so unless so they build ta- you- towers or something, it's going to be not a very good look on television. Let, let me give you a personal perspective on that, because... We- we had a, a match. Uh, actually, you'd be familiar with the match uh, with the Strikers. We had a match against Schalke uh, during the Florida Cup at that complex. And for our photographer, even to get the kind of and our video videographer to get the kind of uh, um, views. I can't remember if the match was streamed. It probably was. But to get the kind of vantage point pictures we needed for promotional material, we couldn't do it. It was impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what will happen is they'll have to build makeshift television uh, towers and kind of an airloft type studio, right? I'm guessing. Um, Otherwise, the camera angles are not going to be uh, what we are accustomed to from normal uh, facilities where MLS is played or where the sport is played. Uh, So, yeah, that's a really, really great uh, point, Chris. Yeah, I I hope so. I hope there is going to be – with it being ESPN and their – focus on perfection i'm sure that they're going to try to figure out a way to to broadcast this to make it as as attractive as possible because the last thing that we want as soccer fans is yeah two games in the morning two games in the evening uh most of the games on espn or espn plus and then watching the games and you're having a very almost like eye level vantage point watching these games where you mean you're not able to see the cross field the other side of the field for those cross field balls or see if it's going to actually make it to the player or not so i mean again having been there too is that um they have a couple of stadiums in there but they're smaller stadiums and while they might look attractive on on camera uh, on television yeah, I think they have to do some type of scaffolding or something just to to help improve that. I mean, there's about 17 to 20 fields there. Um, so there's a lot of space and opportunity. It's not, I mean, this, the complex is not being used. So they could really make it their own. And uh, at the same time, I'm sure for ESPN and Disney, this is a great way to advertise that complex as far as I mean, having soccer tournaments there and uh, making it front and center. My my only concern, Kartik, and, and maybe you can get into this a little bit, is that by the time that MLS will return, which is around about July 1st for these games, is that the vast majority of the other soccer leagues are already go- going to be played. So on a, any, any, well, I guess at weekdays you'd be okay, but on weekends... You've got you'll have the Premier League back, you'll have La Liga back, you'll have the Bundesliga already. You mean coming towards the end of their season, maybe even finishing by the time July first starts. But it's going to be a lot of crowded competition, and I'm not seeing that. Yes, so there will be an interest in in these MLS games, and I'll watch them too. But I'm not seeing the opportunity there for big ratings from MLS. Um, I think I, I, I disagree. I think because one, it's going to be on ESPN and people have been uh, sports fans, general sports fans have been watching a lot, 
lot of ESPN during this shutdown, uh, the 30 for 30 series on the Chicago Bulls, even classic. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised by the number of University of Miami football fans that have just been really excited when there's been some classic game that ESPN has shown in primetime. So I think that's one caveat. And the other is that other American professional sports leagues will not be back at the time. So there will be a natural inclination of people who may be not hostile to soccer. Uh, unfortunately, that's a lot of American sports fans are hostile to soccer, but uh, people who maybe normally don't watch uh, soccer because it's the only thing on on ESPN in prime time. Um, one potential piece of competition, though, Chris, and this will be interesting how this plays out. And there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes also within American soccer, which makes this even more intriguing. Um, the NWSL is going to potentially announce their restart very soon. Um, you know, as we by the time people listen to this podcast. As they might know about that. And I am assuming that gives CBS Sports Network, um, who is now their media partner via Octagon, some sort of primetime programming for their self-contained tournament, which will uh, apparently be held in Utah uh, based on published reports. Now, um, again, there's a difference between ESPN and CBS Sports Network, but that, that, that may actually give them some competition even within the domestic soccer space that I quite frankly wasn't expecting when I started to report on the story and talk to people. So uh, that's a little bit of a caveat and that could be a bit of a complication. Um, and, and also maybe mainstream sports fans because of the success of the U S women's team, maybe they're more likely to watch the NWSL than the MLS. That's possible. So, so my take, my take on this Kartik is that uh, although MLS will be one of the, one of the first major uh, sports in the United States to go ahead and return, yeah, Kartik. So uh, although Major League Soccer will probably be one of the first major U.S. sports to come back, I um, my take on this is that MLS's competition is not the NBA or the NFL or Major League Baseball or uh, other NHL. My, my take is that MLS's competition is uh, other soccer leagues from around the world. I, I don't see – yes, MLS fans are more casual – but they're yes, they probably watch more uh, other sports than say the the diehard passionate soccer fans. But I I don't think I'm not seeing much of an opportunity here for some big ma- massive ratings, even if it is on ESPN or even if it's on ABC. I I just don't see that happening. But maybe maybe I'm wrong and and you're right. Yeah, we'll see. This will actually test the theory. So we've had a lot of feedback through the years on this show and, and articles we've written uh, on World Soccer Talk going back to uh, 2007, 2008, that um, we're misjudging the MLS audience. And the reason MLS TV ratings are, are poor is because they're played at the same time as U.S. sports and they're competing with whether it's baseball, basketball, hockey, college football, whatever. At, at, at the same time. And uh, that the Premier League and, and La Liga, they don't have these disadvantages. Although La Liga actually does, because generally games are in the afternoon in U.S. time. Um, so that's been a working theory or a fallback position of MLS defenders for years and years and years. Um, I'm curious to see if they're right. Maybe they are right. And MLS uh, uh, is getting a million viewers uh, in prime time on ESPN, which basically is the threshold to show match, show something on in ESPN and prime time on a weeknight. That's um, uh, yeah. That, that's maybe. it. It's going to get. It, you're right. You're right. Sorry. You're no. You're, you're right, Kartik. You're absolutely right on that one. This will be the true litmus test to find out exactly what that audience is like, and 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 also 
mainstream audience, if you show a game uninterrupted with nothing else going on, pretty much other than say lacrosse or um, now and again like UFC fights, but, but but basically, if MLS is able to come back on a major sports network and not have much competition and have games being played in prime time. I mean, I mean, let's see what those numbers are. I mean, I'd, I'd love to be proven wrong. I'd love to see those, I mean, I don't know, a million people watching an MLS game or 750,000 people plus whatever it may be. That would be great news for soccer in, in this country. Yeah. Uh, speaking of TV ratings, Kartik, let's go into the Bundesliga ratings a little bit here too because uh, I, I, I want to get your take on this in a second, but I, I was disappointed. I Going into this, I was thinking, okay, even with Fox, even knowing that Fox was going not going to promote these games, not going to put them on over-the-air television, this was the only sports available on live sports available on U.S. television. So whether you're a fan of Major League Soccer, the Premier League, uh, you're in Serie A, no matter no matter what league you would be in that you would watch these games and that even the casual fans, even the casual sports viewers would tune into FS1 and go, oh, wait, 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 there's a game on here. Let's watch this to see what it's like. And my take on all of this, Kartik, is that um, I was hoping that these numbers would be greater. I, I guess I wasn't really thinking that these numbers would be greater, only because I think viewer habits have have changed from the coronavirus. We're all on different schedules. We're all doing different things that, that, that we... Than we used to. We're probably watching more Netflix. We're probably going outdoors a little bit more than we used to. Exercising, found new hobbies, doing different things. Whatever it is, I was thinking that the numbers wouldn't be that great. I was hoping that they would be, and I guess I was just disappointed. I just thought they would be bigger than what they were. What about you, Kartik? It's FS1, so no, I, I think the numbers were actually quite good, and you have to, you can't compare numbers that are on FS1 to numbers on ESPN or, or NBCSN, which goes back to the point, if this had been, uh, if NBCSN were running this, you, you talked about about that earlier, that they would love to have had this. I think you would see maybe, uh, let's see, uh, the, the, the Schalke Dortmund game, you may have seen 150,000 more viewers. There is now, um, as we've talked about before, just this drag on things on FS1. Even uh, Big Ten college basketball will get much higher ratings uh, the same game if it's on ESPN than it will on FS1. Uh, even things like college football will get much higher ratings. It, it's, it's, a, it's a channel that, um, and I think this goes to Fox's budget cuts. It, it maybe it's more than a, than a than a soccer thing. That I think it's a it's a channel and uh, and and a, and a sports uh, uh, division that's uh, really kind of reeling when it doesn't when it comes to sports beyond very much their core NFL uh, and major league baseball that they have they have uh, difficulty uh, and even sports like college football which are wildly popular uh, their ratings tend to be lower than that of of, of the other uh, major over-the-air networks on when it's on big fox and then also uh fs1 versus espn and other cable channels much lower so that's my explanation yeah i'm a, i will admit that the ratings weren't what i had hoped they would be i i I kind of am with you on that, but that's my reasoning is because of Fox. Yeah, and that's another great point point from you, Kartik, too, because like the, the actual number of uh, households that uh, FS1 is in is 80 million. I think it's 79 million and 79.5 million uh, homes nationwide. NBCSN is almost exactly the same, and I believe ESPN is in about 85. So ESPN has about 5 million homes than FS1, but those numbers are pretty close to one another. So you would think yeah. that, you mean, a, a soccer game on, on a FS1 
and a soccer game on NBCSN and a soccer game on ESPN would have similar numbers. But historically speaking, we know that that's not true. We know that the FS1 numbers especially are lower than ESPN numbers. Um, FS2 is even smaller. And uh, yeah, that that's another thing that comes out of this too. And I think a, a reason why that... Um, the Bundesliga going with ESPN, even though most of the games are going to be on ESPN Plus, so it's more of a future play, is a smart move from the, the German league, from the DFL, because long term, they're going to get a lot more love, but also a lot more opportunity, a lot more reach through ESPN and a lot more attention than what uh, Fox has given them. But the numbers for, for those listeners who are interested, and, and again, too, if you combine the English language numbers with the Spanish language numbers together, those numbers are pretty good. I mean, so you got uh, Dortmund against Schalke, FS1 and Fox Deporters was 407,000 people watched that one, which is much higher than what uh, Fox uh, FS1 usually gets for a Bundesliga game uh, before the coronavirus. It would be less than 100,000 uh, typically. And then you had uh, Union Berlin against Bayern Munich on FS1, Uno Mas, and Tudu NA. And this one across all three of those networks combined was 583,000. Um, of those were from Uno Mas and Tudu NA. So the numbers on Fox on FS1 were averaging roughly about 300,000 uh, viewers over, over the, the weekend. Um, the FS2 game on the Monday, I think, was uh, about 54 million, I believe, uh, 54,000, sorry, I wish it was 54 million, 54,000 viewers for that one. So not a lot of people tuning, tuning in for that one. But uh, again, it's, it, is the glass half empty or is the glass half full? Uh, if you go to the homepage of worldsoccertalk.com, we go into a lot more detail and a lot more analysis about those numbers and uh, we definitely want to hear your opinion too. So feel free to add some comments there into the comments section. Listener mailbag, Dave Denholm uh, says, a good friend of yours and mine, Kartik, you guys had a lot of fun with the radio commentary of El Trafico on LAFC.com, which I loved. And no, there was no script. I made it up on the fly. I did the broadcast weeks ago plausibly live and my producer Mario Ruiz uh, painstakingly did the audio edit editing thanks again and that was uh, for those who missed it was Dave went ahead who is the the radio commentator for LAFC and did a uh, in his imagination he did a commentary of what LAFC against uh, LA Galaxy uh, would have been over the course of a 90 minutes and nobody knew what was going to happen. And he went ahead and, and uh, even with his producer, went ahead and uh, produced and edited that and, and uh, released that. So if you missed it, check it out at uh, LAFC.com. Lichonsky says, uh, sports are being played all the time under the threat of viruses being spread. Players miss games for being sick frequently and even play while they're sick. What do you do? Suspend everything until every, everyone is clean of COVID-19? At some point, a decision needs to be made. And I can't quite remember in regards to what specifically, uh, what episode that was, Lichonsky, that uh, you kind of offered that, or mentioned that uh, comment too. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, what do you think, Kartik? Do you think these leagues are coming back too quickly? Or um, is the Bundesliga doing okay with uh, what they're doing? Well, the Bundesliga is in Germany, which has uh, had a, a more kind of robust testing and tracing program uh, than the United Kingdom or, or Spain or the United States. So 
I think I, I do still think it was too soon, but I have more confidence in authorities in Germany to handle this situation, isolate people, test properly, trace and limit the potential spread. I mean, you can't mitigate every potential factor. There's still going to be some risk in playing. However, um, I think there are concerns, uh, rightfully so, based on the, the, the responses in these countries and just kind of the, the sloppiness. I mean, particularly the United Kingdom. I mean, they, they let major events go on uh, for a week or two beyond most other Western countries. I, I think there's significant concern about that. We're seeing some players, Danny Rose, Troy Deeney, uh, and others uh, make very, very strong statements about a, a return. The U.S., um, I think the U.S., the MLS situation is MLS is kind of acknowledging the risk, and NWSL is acknowledging the risk, and they're deciding they're going to play in one place so they can control everything. Now, as I put in my article on YanksForComing.com about the MLS restart, uh, there is always going to be rule breakers, okay? You, 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 you put 1,000 people under lock and key, there's going to be two or three people who break curfew, at least. They may not even be players. They might be staff. And then you're running the risk of the infection spreading. But I think, um, yeah, I'm, I have to be honest. I, I want football back, but I'm also uncomfortable with most of this um, from a kind of societal standpoint. We'll see how it goes. Um, I, I do think one thing I will say, say for what's happening in England is there is significant pushback and significant questions being asked about the wisdom of the Premier League really restarting or if the Football League were to restart, uh, that they probably will put as many mitigating factors in place. In the United States, I'm concerned that there are not enough questions being asked of MLS and NWSL and their restarts. Now, again, as I said, they're doing it in, in, within a bubble, So, but that doesn't mitigate everything. Um, so maybe the so, media here has to start asking some more questions. Yeah, so so the Premier League this week went ahead and tested every single player. So there's like, what, 760 players or something like that. And out of those 760 players, there were only six that tested positive. And uh, those were th- from three clubs. Uh, we know it's Burnley was one of them. Watford was the other. I'm not sure who the third one was. Right. So, Brighton was the third. Oh, uh, Brighton, okay. So it'll be interesting, Kartik, to see I mean, any other league. I mean, Major League Soccer too. I mean, test all the players and see how many of those test positive and negative before going ahead and uh, go, moving forward with, with the, uh, the tournament plan. Or, or, or you yeah. know, if it's La Liga, going forward with the return to La Liga. And at least then you know, you know I mean, where you're starting from and making sure that, uh, making sure that it's okay to proceed. Yeah, Spain. I, I I don't know how Spain uh, is going to restart, given that I think the outbreak has been has been worse there. It it hasn't been handled particularly well. Uh, Italy kind of got a hold of it be- better than Spain, or not better, but earlier than Spain. Uh, the other thing I would I would remind people is that the two legs between Atalanta and Valencia in Champions League were absolute disasters. So the first leg, UEFA decided to go ahead and play. In front with a crowd that led to a communal spread in 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 uh, Bergamo in that area, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the, the Atalanta area. So that was one problem. Then they decided to have a second leg, still play the second leg behind closed doors, and then after that, I think six Valencia players and staff tested positive. So um, I, I I go back to that two leg tie and 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 the ramifications of that two leg tie being a concern for me. 
Yeah, yeah. So hopefully they'll go ahead and test the players before they go ahead and, and make the call to to come back. And and June twelfth is what they're. I mean, it's Javier Tabas, who's the La Liga uh, president, who's really pushing for that. And again, we've talked about it before in this podcast. A lot of it is because of the the business implications, the contractual obligations, the having to finish these seasons so that um, that they don't have to pay back. The, the broadcasters or give some type of uh, refund to the broadcasters or don't have to uh, go ahead and give them some type of one-year credit, uh, you mean, kind of a free year of La Liga. Uh, you mean, it doesn't, from a monetary point of view, make sense um, to wait. But from a health and, and safety and uh, human aspect, I think they have to take the correct precautions and the correct steps uh, before they make those business decisions. Last but not least, Kartik, Leo Steph says... And one, one Go ahead. Thing. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. One other quick thing is that uh, Le- Leon is... Uh, is has There are reports in the French media that Leon is saying that there will be a resumption of the Champions League in August. Now, Leon is in a league whose season was uh, was, was aborted, um, Liga 1. But that's... Uh, so U- UEFA uh, might not actually restart the Champions League till August. We'll see if those reports are accurate. So... Just would throw that out. Yeah, there. yeah, which would probably, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it's almost like we, we have to figure out the domestic seasons first, and once those finish, then then um, and and the, and the UEFA, it's hard for them to plan until they know what the resumption dates are on those different leagues too. So, yeah, that that ball's continuing to move. Last but not least, uh, Leo Steph says. Thanks for the great podcast uh, in the last episode. The episode of Gary O'Reilly was a little different, but still very interesting. There was more football and more heart of the game, if you will. So, yeah, so we went a little bit more into the football side, a little bit less into the television side, even though Gary uh, has done a lot of commentary on television and continues to do so. I think he's done some USL games, too, um, uh, in the US and uh, in other leagues, too. So we want you to have your say. So if you have any questions, feedback, uh, anything you want to raise or any, any uh, discussion uh, suggestions, let us know. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. And uh, thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on all the podcast players, uh, as well as the Amazon Alexa and uh, Google Home. Um, You can just uh, play it up on there, too, in addition to YouTube.com. And if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. And Kartik, hey, another weekend of Bundesliga coming up this weekend. Um, Also, the Korean League is on 11 Sports. So we've got there's a couple of games this weekend for any early risers, and we've got um, Belarus going on. Hey, hey Belarus, yes, Belarus. So it, it feels so good to actually have soccer return, where we can ask you what what the listeners should do. Enjoy your football. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.